Hello and welcome to 73 and Sunny, the podcast about the journey of getting things just right. We talk to tech sales and marketing leaders about how they're growing, dialing in best practices, and getting closer to that sweet spot. With us today is an entrepreneur and a lead generation and marketing expert. This person has helped to build and successfully market thousands of websites for mortgage, real estate, home services, and other businesses. He's a content creator, a family man, and he wakes up at a ridiculously early hour. The CEO and co-founder of Rebel IQ, Andrew Pollock. Andrew, welcome on. Daniel, uh, thanks for uh, having me. Excited to be here. Um, interesting times. Uh, been sharpening my skills as a result, but uh, always, always fun to share kind of the ups and downs of the journey because I know everybody's in a, in a different spot. And sometimes these these types of conversations definitely help people. I know I've gotten a lot out of these, uh, just you know, tuning into other entrepreneurs and uh, love what you guys are doing at Verse as well. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah. So to give some context to everyone, you've been in the lead generation and marketing space for almost 20 years. Can, yeah, can you go yeah. through your background and how you got to start Rebel IQ? Yeah. So I got into uh, really digital marketing in 2004. Uh, it was my first 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 real job um, selling websites to real estate agents. And uh, quickly occurred to me that driving traffic and doing marketing and like SEO and pay-per-click and all this stuff that was pretty new back in 2004. Like if you're not converting leads, like what's the point of driving the traffic, right? Like so you, you got to have a – you got to burn both ends of that candle because if you just – spend all your time and effort on, on getting the clicks and you're not actually converting people, it, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good and you end up wasting a lot of money and opportunities. So I've been on this mission just to, to unravel how do you engage consumers, you know, no matter what the channel is, there's, there's a way to ask for information and a way to get people to engage. And, and a lot of people miss, miss that and they don't think about it. And so it's just me, you know, and my team on a mission to solve the uh, gap between the, the, provider, the service provider, the expert and the consumer and bridging that gap in a way that hopefully doesn't require like a middleman in, in that, you know, can we can we connect the the vendor or the service provider to the consumer directly without saying, hey, buy a lead from me. And and that is is a common kind of situation or scenario. It's like, can't you do it for yourself and, and learn from what these big lead gen companies are doing? And there's a strategy and there's kind of a method to the madness. And if you can if you can unlock that all of a sudden, you know, you find that doesn't mean you don't need to buy leads anymore, but maybe you're generating more quality on your own as well. And you can just supplement a bit. So when we met, you were heading up lead pops and there's been a transition from lead pops to rebel IQ. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, that's uh, you know, it was a critical kind of decision, right. To, to rebrand and rename the business that, uh, that can go a couple different ways. And you guys, you guys know a lot about that. Um, we do. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you guys did a, did a great job with it, you know, cause there's, there's, um, you can blunder it. And, you know, for us, it's been a, a kind of a slower move and, and not just a, getting away from lead pops entirely, but it's, it's turning lead pops into like the product and the SAS SAS component of the, the bigger vision. And just really trying to, to get ourselves outside of a conversation of just leads because leads, leads are important. If you're a salesperson, obviously you, you live and die by them, but uh, you know, we also get boxed out of conversations and, and opportunities, I, I think, simply because the word lead was in the business name. And there's just so much more to having success online and with marketing than just getting you leads. Right. So we wanted to look at a bigger picture, a bigger vision and uh, helping clients solve more of the customer journey than just, you know, talk to some of these people who have 
at, at one point in time expressed interest in something that you offer. It's like, okay, so what happened? How do you get the leads? You know, what bucket do you put them in? How do you score them? How do you qualify? How do you how do you follow up? Which is such a huge missing piece for so many people is you get them the leads and they drop the ball there. So it's like you gotta you gotta tackle and and really look at multiple angles to to be successful online. And and if we're just kind of talking about leads, then we're we're not addressing other key areas. So it was just a, you know, it's been an ongoing kind of move towards a bigger vision, but uh, I'm still kind of working through that. I wonder about the way that people think about that word. We've talked about this before, about why the word leads seems to turn people off. I have a theory that it's related to like it's almost dehumanizing, right? It takes it it takes a someone who's an inquiry or someone who has interest in a product and is filling out a form to learn more, and it turns it into kind of a file within the the database that's moving through some trans through some journey. It, any any thoughts on feedback that you've gotten post change? Is it does it is it working that moving away from the word leads? Uh. I want to touch on something you said there because I think it's really important before you answer that question. It's that like that human factor. It's like you put them in the leads bucket, all of a sudden like the hopes and aspirations of this human are not even really like, I think it would greatly benefit salespeople to tap into more of like the human behind the lead, right? And to really like think about like this person in, in a lot of these cases, they, they just filled out like a 20 question lead form, right? So it's not like they just opened up the phone book and found Susie. Susie Renter and, and called her up. They like they, they saw something that compelled them to take action enough that they've gone through a process. They've answered a bunch of questions, told you a lot about themselves that are, some of these things are kind of personal and, and kind of things people don't openly share, like income and credit, things like that. So they've gone through all these kind of like obstacles and hoops. They've given you an accurate, a real name, email, phone number. Holy moly, like we got to work with that. Like, hey, and if not now, then maybe later. Like, hey, if the this next 90 days to six month window is not realistic because of your, you know, current financial situation or whatever, like how, how can I like go on this journey with you and think about it from the longer, from a, like a longer term perspective versus just, Hey, what's going to close now and anything else I don't even want to, I don't care about it. Right. And that's, those are leads. Right. So, you know, from a kind of ethos or how do we think about like, how do we treat the customer and, and the lead opportunity? I think it's really, uh, that's, that's an important thing you tapped into. I've actually just in the last month or so wrote out like a whole mindset and strategy and like that tapping into exactly that, the human aspect of like these relationships that you're trying to build with people. Cause even if they can't do alone, they've got friends, they've got family, they know people, maybe not now, maybe later. Like these are opportunities. We don't want to just squander them and kick them to the curb because I can't get paid off you in the next 90 days. And if I can't get paid off of you, then I don't really want to help you or talk to you. That's not, I, you know, and it feels like there's a lot of that kind of, mindset and, and, and it's not to judge the industry by any means. It's just, you know, can we look at a, a longer term play and be smarter about these opportunities and, and not just treat them like a lead or a, a name in a file. Right. So that's important. Overall, I think the messaging strategy and kind of how we're present positioning ourselves has definitely opened up more conversations. It's more of a, tell me about that. What does that even mean? Like a curiosity around the name and like, what is it, what are you trying to imply with that? Cause I think that there are, there's a strategy in the, in the name itself that I was trying to trying to tap into um, that lead pops just didn't really give me. Pops is kind of a throwaway word in lead. It's most of the time it's a negative connotation. So I'm almost like spending my my 20, 30 seconds of, of pitching, if you will, or explaining, like trying to undo the conclusions you probably have already drawn about what my company is and does. Whereas Rebel IQ doesn't put me in a bucket. 
it, it allows me to kind of open up the conversation with an open, uh, open-minded person who's more curious about like, what does that mean? What are you guys all about? What are you doing? You know, outsmart right. the machine kind of, uh, you know, what, what, what's that all about? It's been, been cool. Well, that, that room, that leads me to a, another interesting question that I thought you might have insight on. Uh, and I think it's interesting anyway, is it, is the re- is the reason that uh, that the consumer experience isn't being focused on as much because of the way that the let's say the nomenclature leads or just in general the mindset around how people deal with inquiries is that the cause of why so many people fill out inquiries but then don't respond? It's one of the biggest mysteries of mm. the online inquiry world, and I've got Andrew Pollack the. The, you've got almost 20 years of experience in the world. You, this is like all you've thought about for, for however many years, how, how, to, how to capture attention and how to make the most out of the traffic that people are generating. Why is it that people go to websites, fill out forms, and then, and then ghost and never respond? That's the uh, that's a multi-billion dollar question. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, the time of... of the inquiry matters, right? So many times these things are coming in and during off hours. So unless you've got a system in place to make sure you're, you're working 24 seven when these people are up and looking at stuff like this, and it's not just, Hey, they better be inquiring between eight and five, 8 AM and 5 PM. Otherwise I'm not there. Right? Like, so I, 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 there's an element to the follow-up and, you know, is it, are they truly just not responsive or is it like your time, your timing's bad? Like you, they filled out the form and yeah, they're not responding. Cause you know, you didn't have anything even kick out to them until the next day or the first message you sent out and responded with was not really optimized. Like you didn't even like, and you guys know all about that piece in a very, you know, very uh, optimized kind of way. But that, that's, that's important. People are filling stuff out. You know, they're jumping from one website to another. They don't remember what site they were on. A lot of these phantom unbranded sites, they don't recognize the branding or the logo you know, um, there's even a, there's, there's even a lot of people that'll just straight up say, I didn't fill anything out. It's like you answered a 20 question form. I have all your info. It's time stamped. I have a video of you futzing around with the submit button at the end. Like, you know, there's, there's and it was three things. minutes ago, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. especially those, those are the question marks. It's like, Hey, yeah. when you don't get back to them in time, like it's been an hour, anything beyond, you know, a couple of minutes, really, there's no association between you and that, that them filling out that form. Right. But well, there's also a the question of, is it too easy? So where it's, it may be just built into the cake, right? There's, it used to be that if you were interested in something, you had to look up the phone number. And then when you called them, you were ready to talk to them. If, if we're getting marketed to in all these different channels, maybe it's just too easy to capture information. It's too easy to express your interest in something so that even when you're not what you'd call like a bottom of the funnel or, or even a person who's at the, at a buying stage, that you, you might still fill out an inquiry form because they caught you at the right emotional moment. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a very interesting point. It's the, the, the aspect of, you know, if they're filling something out, They've given you their information. How, how much work did they have to do to get to that? You know, because Facebook lead ads are infamous or like I, people don't even realize their fat thumb hit the button and they gave us some email address they signed up for Facebook with like in 2008. Yeah. Like that, you know, that there's no, not enough hoops to jump through. Like there's a sweet spot between like make them work for it, make them aware of the fact that they've kind of gone through a process to give you their information. 
uh, don't make it too easy because, you know, there's there's the kind of a poor, in many cases, a lower quality lead. If it's just like, hey, download my, my free report, the insider scoop on mortgage marketing in 2024, and just give me your name and email address because I just want a list built, right? That's a different, like I might get 2,000 people to download that. And then on my thank you page, I say, hey, do you want a one-on-one consultation or do you want a one-on-one mortgage marketing review? No obligation. I present a link to then take you through a a more interactive, like, I'm going to ask you some questions during this process. Now I've asked you 15 or 20 additional questions, maybe out of the, the initial hundreds of downloads that got my ebook, 14 of those people that saw the thank you page to get the ebook or the report went through my assessment. And now they, you know, now I have a, that, those are the leads I want to treat differently and really work, work on. Like those are more of my SQL type versus MQL. These are the people I look at as a priority so, you know, absolutely. I think the amount of work and effort you, you put into it will get you a better quality lead. And if you kind of layer on, you know, how you stack the conversion opportunities to work together, you can actually kind of move people further through the pipeline and, and do it in an automated kind of way. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to shift gears because since we have you on, we want to ask something that would add a lot of value to the, to the people in the mortgage and other industries that we that may be listening to this. What's a specific thing that you see on mortgage websites or solar websites that most people get wrong. So what are businesses doing that they could fix in a short amount of time that would improve their website, whether they use, you know, Rebel IQ or Verse or anything else? What's something yeah. that people could do today to improve their websites? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great one. Uh, call to action, language, messaging. Uh, a lot of times it's either missing altogether or just it's, it's kind of weak. It's not really... It's almost like it's a platitude or a, a statement of some sort. It's not really a like, hey, do this. There's no direction. Um, the the way you present the lead form or the inquiry opportunity on the page should stand out. It should not just blend into the page. Like, let's make it pop. Literally, let's make it stand out. So color contrast, things like that make a big difference. You know, we've optimized in like split test traffic and it's like, hey, is the button being green or orange? Does that really actually make a difference? Well, hey, the, there's a two, two to 3% lift when we made the button orange versus kind of a green that blended into the site. And the green looks nicer, but the, the orange definitely stands out more. And all of a sudden you can see the, the number of clicks to that button has increased. And, you know, when you're in a world where you close a deal and you make thousands of dollars, like those small, you know, incremental uh, improvements make a big difference. And then, then just the lead form process altogether is typically kind of busted. Like we just see the way you're asking for information online uh, versus what like big lead gen companies do. It's almost the exact opposite. So it's just like this, this inclination or this, this jump to like, oh, keep it simple. It's, it's too many questions. It's like it's, it's counterintuitive. But asking too few questions and just starting the process out with give me all of your personal information that nobody wants to just give up when they go onto a website. And that's the first thing I'm asking you for. A lot of times, you, you know, they don't even start the process. But if I can ask you, like, okay, what kind of down payment are you looking for? What kind of house are you interested in? Like, how much sun does your yard get? Like, if I can ask you some qualifying questions in the process and then kind of get you invested, you're more likely to give up your information at the end than you are if I just asked you point blank, give me your name, email, phone number, tell me where you live. So yeah. just a better way of capturing and, and drawing attention to the capture component is key. Otherwise, we're just leaving it to chance. Well, you you were a leader in the gamifying of the funnels, right? Of gamifying, making it more fun. But it just occurred to me when you were saying that, that one of the things you do in a sales conversation to establish yourself as an authority, establish yourself as an expert, is to ask really good questions. If, you, if you're able to have questions with, that, that show that you 
are A, listening, B, that you understand what the next steps would be and that you're not wasting any time, that you could you could demonstrate that through the lead form and almost mimic uh, a qualifying sales conversation. And it makes you, the person who's filling out the form feel that whatever is going to happen next is going to is going to follow a certain path and make a lot of sense and isn't going to be a waste of time. And if you can imagine yourself going onto a website, getting an inquiry form that pops up right away where you just put a name, phone, and email versus an inquiry form that pops up and asks a question that is directly relative to what you, the information that you're seeking out, makes total sense that you would be more invested to do that. And I'll share a quick anecdote from our time at Verse and what we experienced in terms of conversation design and and putting these campaigns together, the there's always, almost with every single customer, there's a time that they say, we'd like to get this one more piece of information via text. And it might be, you know, credit score, or it might be, have they, have they already picked an agent to work with, or have they already chosen a home? And, and in some ways, you know, You've, you're having a text conversation. What we're talking about via the inquiry form almost is an extension of the of the inquiry form. Sometimes is you, first you have to we're, we're switching to a new channel via SMS. You have to establish some trust. So asking a question or two is actually helpful to keeping the conversation going because if they've answered that question now, they're kind of willing to take the next step with you. But you also at some point you say, look, we've 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 examined. We're trying to optimize this campaign. We see that you know. 17% of people drop off when you ask this fifth or sixth question. What about just throwing that in the lead form? They're already answering like 14 questions. Why don't they ask 15 questions and then we don't have to ask that one and then we can move right on. So optimizing for how much information can you get on the front end so that you don't, you're not losing people so that you're not annoying them. You know, if they're, and maybe even you can elaborate on this, but not asking the same questions again, like you can confirm some information, but how annoying is it when you answer a question on a form and you get on a call and they ask you the same exact question? It's like going to the doctor's just, office and filling out your address four times. I, so, I literally so, just did that over the weekend with the situation. Yeah. I'm like texting them back. I'm like, you should have asked me this. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's you can, you save money, save time. You know, you're... It, honor their honor their time as well it's it's an interesting uh an interesting problem to solve it's and that's interesting because that's exactly what it's meant to do it's meant to say okay well what would you ask me if i walked into your office here's like 10 minutes worth and i'm not trying to say okay well let's just remove the need for conversation rapport building and like the, the, that that piece of it's important but it's like hey let's let's jump ahead and move a little bit more quickly you spending 30 seconds literally flying through this process, answering a bunch of easy questions is going to be a very quick way to get me the information I'm going to need so we can hit the ground running and we can move yep. quicker. And then we can spend time. I'll, I'll verify a couple things because you said this and this. I just want to make sure that's correct. And now I can ask you some more questions and kind of go further through the process and you feel like you've gotten somewhere. And I, I've even seen clients kind of couple couple things. Like I'm a proponent, obviously, and I, I've already stated, of putting the the longer form option right on the website, right in the email campaign, right in the blog post. But some people are latched onto that basic contact form and it doesn't mean don't have one, but if it's like, Hey, you filled out my contact form, maybe my autoresponder or my text uh, message sequence then says, Hey, thanks for filling this out. Now take this quick 30 second or answer this quick 30 second questionnaire to, to move the process further along or to kind of keep things moving. So you can like, now I text you a link to the survey or the questionnaire that gets me the basic information in a really quick and easy kind of way. So we're not just kind of 
going through through uh, you know a a more more difficult or slow question and answer process to get me the information I'm going to be looking for. Okay, I'm I'm going to shift again, Andrew, and I'm going to quote you. This is a post on LinkedIn. You said, "Short-term thinking has plagued the mortgage industry, treating loans like one-time transactions, shunning future opportunities unless they fit into a perfect box." I have two questions for you. Is, is this still true in the mortgage industry? So, are 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 they still treating our mortgage uh, loan officers still treating loans like one-time transactions? And are you seeing the same issues in the other industries that you work in? I know you're in solar and home services and insurance and real estate and a bunch of other places. Do you see do you see them treating it the same way, or is this something specific to the mortgage industry? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be I'll, I'll speak to what I know best, which is mortgage, right? That's that's where we butter our bread, I guess you could say. Um, it's been a it's been a working on the mindset shift at, that that we're trying. It's there's you know, love our mortgage clients. They're the reason we're here, but it's, I think it's when you've been doing things a certain way for a long, long time. And it's all, you know, it's hard, especially then, then you got spoiled the last couple of years with, you know, with, with the state of the market. Um, so I don't know about the other verticals and industries as much as I do with mortgage, but that it's been a challenge. It's like focusing on, on only seeing value in, in loans or opportunities that are going to close in the next 90 days to six months is, 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 definitely a problem. And I think that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem to exist, at least in, in our world, right? We sell software where, you know, we're, there's a much more dialed in kind of process and expectations uh, in other sales verticals and industries than there, there appears to be in mortgage. So I, I, I do think it's still, there's a lot of room for improvement and just coming to terms with the reality of the fact that, you know, anybody that's in a mortgage that's less than a four, 4% rate, you know, they're, probably going to be not not making any decisions on on you know a voluntary kind of like uh, wouldn't it be nice to just you know live in a different part of town and some of that stuff is just not really happening you know so uh the the market opportunities that exist are what they are and you got to be willing and able to work with people and those that are building their database that are building their conversations that are creating relationships in a meaningful kind of way even if it's not dollar signs and closed loans in the immediate are going to be the winners on the other side of it. So um, I, it's still a challenge. It's still something we, we try to work on with our clients. But, uh, you know, I definitely see it as uh, a big, big issue in the mortgage world of just, you know, only caring about the stuff that seems to like there's going to be a payout and pretty quickly. And otherwise, like, screw that. Like, why would I waste my time? Yeah, that that's kind of that's kind of what I thought. But at least there's there's attention being paid. I see through all through most of your content and content around you is is trying to help people transition from caring about a single transaction and caring more about the people involved. So I, I love that push forward. I'm going to shift now to one of our favorite topics, which is AI. Uh, we've recently gone through a brand change, as you know, behind our brand change, just so that it's clear, verse uh we bought the domain verse.ai when we when we transitioned four years ago from to to being verse.io, and we bought the domain, but we're scared, and we we had already we'd spent the last you know we we've been a company for about ten years, but we spent the last um, seven years essentially <laughs> build, building the AI that we that we use internally uh, and the automation that we use, and it was just a matter of people us us thinking that people weren't ready. Like that, if we had changed to verse.ai, that it would have scared people. That 
the public sentiment about AI has changed a lot in the last four years. And we thought it was time to kind of to, to label ourselves properly that the time was right. So it, it is one of our favorite topics. So um, if at all, how, how are you seeing AI being used in your world? And do you have any tips or, or thoughts on AI adoption in, in the mortgage world or in the mortgage marketing world? Yeah, uh, I'm a user myself of, you know, I use ChatGPT and recently Claude. I'm a fan of uh, Anthropic's uh, tool. It's pretty neat. Um, it's just, you know, and this isn't, I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said, but I agree with it, which is why I say it. It's like the people that know how to use it and, and kind of leverage this tool are going to be way ahead of people who aren't because it, it can not, not meant to replace you and do your work for the lazy person, but it's just, I think it just accelerates someone who's creative, someone who's good, who, who's, who's not wanting to get bogged down by kind of minutia type stuff. You can definitely leverage AI in a lot of really interesting ways from, creating marketing campaigns to follow up sequences to messaging. Like I've just used it a lot in terms of just writing, writing and automating that, that kind of content uh, aspect of just like templates, things like that. Not, not my own content, even though I've tried to play with like loading up a bunch of my own stuff to say like, teach it, learn from me. How would you, in my, I'm like, what it spits out, it's always like too salesy, cheesy sounding. I'm like, man, is that really shit? The AI thinks I'm way too, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, so for that, I haven't been able to use it because I love this idea of like uploading everything I've ever posted to LinkedIn. And then maybe I'll try it with Claude because I just got on the Claude two weeks ago. So maybe I'll, I'll try it because OpenAI has not been anything I've been happy with. But just like template creation, questions like give me a list of the top 150 like verticals that a mortgage professional should be should be tapping into as a potential referral partner. Yeah. 30 seconds later is a massive list. It's just like, all right, well. There's so much that you can do with it. I think it's amazing. I, I started a little side project called Sidekick GPT, which I just kind of put on the back burner. I almost got it live. I actually built it using OpenAI. So it coded the, the entire like base of the product. It coded a Chrome extension for me. And uh, it was just like a prompt generator where I would say, write me an X insert type of prompt from a dropdown menu about this using a target audience. And it would spit the thing out. So, I, I mean, there's just so much you can do with it. I think it's interesting. I'd love to layer it into our product in some sort of way. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, I get excited with it because I think there's just, obviously we're at the very, like, imagine where we're going to be at. If it's doing what it's doing now in five years, holy crap, it's crazy. But um, trying to think of ways we can use it in our own product from content creation, filling in content blocks, dynamic, you know, could the question and answer sequence of the form actually change dynamically based on learnings of like, people don't like that question, or maybe it would be better to drop that question towards the end. Like a lot of cool stuff. I'm not doing these things yet, but it's all definitely uh, rattling around in my head. Yeah. I wonder about, so one of the, the, the kind of repeated tropes that we keep hearing is AI is not going to replace you. People who can use AI effectively might. And, and maybe yeah, will. that's what I was. That's exactly the trope I said. So there yeah, you go. Whether exactly. you like it or not, that's I, yeah. I, I, I agree with that sentiment. I feel like you, if you're good with it, you're going to be ahead of people who are not. Like someone sitting here, writing the about us section on a template when I just had freaking OpenAI spit that out in ten seconds for me, and I'm done. Like, I don't know. Well, it 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 directly mirrors the the pain that we were solving when we were when we started as a business because verse you know. Before we were Verse, when I first started, we were a glorified contact center. We had young, cool, good-looking kids making phone calls and texting people 
in a big office and they had cubicles and they were drinking Red Bulls. And it was like the it was a it was a really great environment. We had a ton of really talented, cool people and they went crazy because they were repeating the same. They were copy pasting the same responses to the same questions yeah. all day. And you were like and and they were happy where they were, but not you know, you can only do that for a few weeks of copy pasting the same responses to text messages before you go, I just want to have a regular conversation. And so what, what we, what we set out to do was, can we automate the stuff that they're repeating over and over again and only put humans on the conversations that require the empathy and the human experience and, and that are complicated. And that's like, that was the birth of what we, of what, verse is and and so that and that's still what we're trying to do today what's the, the only difference or change is that we're able to do a lot more of it and so the humans are still in the loop but they're only being brought in for things that are that are you know next level conversations and i think it's it's interesting that if you apply that to the rest of what's happening in the world all the things you do you know like that you have to manually go search through gmail to find good examples of you know, an email that you that was effective or something rather than saying, analyze my Gmail, find me the most effective email, or the highest open rate I've ever had with our marketing and and then create a craft another email that's similar, but speaks to this point that it's all stuff that we would do, but it would just take us forever. So a- applying the AI to all of, to all of those things, and then how that would work in the mortgage world is is interesting, because there seems to be a lot of things that could be done a lot better, particularly in the mortgage, but also in the underwriting and also the other aspects of, of mortgages that, that exist today. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see who comes out at the top because it's been kind of messed with in the mortgage space for a while. So there's this like balance of automate it to a certain point, but don't automate the loan officer out of the process entirely. But, but then there's a conflicting battle between, well, don't, wouldn't you really kind of want to automate the LO out of it if you could? Yeah. be honest right yeah yeah so and then guys like me are like wait don't you dare do that like yeah you know <laughs> holding on to my kerosene freaking uh <laughs> yeah my lantern my kerosene lantern but yeah. uh who knows right it's uh definitely stuff and it's funny i just on friday i literally had this new sales deck of a new product we're launching and it's like a big old too long deck it's like 42 sc- slides it's not ready yet but i uploaded it to claude so claude summarize this whole thing and create a quiz for a sales trick and dude, 30 seconds later, it's a beautiful summary of the whole thing I uploaded from a deck to a PDF. And there's like 20 quiz questions for anyone who wants to participate and to get certified in this new product that it just spit out for me. It's just like, so that would have probably taken, I mean, there's no way that wouldn't have taken two or three hours and and the level of quality is just, it's hard to match. So, um, Okay, well, I'll, this will be the last segment, and I'll let you go. This this is the segment of our podcast that we call If I Were You, and it's where you give advice to CMOs or business leaders on something they should be doing. You have a lot of experience. You have run businesses. You've created uh, and helped uh, businesses build websites that, that are crushing. And and if you are were having lunch with a CMO and uh, what what advice would you give that that CMO or business leader uh, on on anything that you're uh, an expert in? Okay, that's a good question. Um, you can start with if I were you. If I were you, I would 
immerse myself and just take in as much info as I can, but move quickly because you don't have all the time in the world, you know, and, and the, the guys that come in that are expensive, that takes three months, six months of work, drinking from the fire hose, just to like, you gotta, you gotta do this quick, but learn, get the download, find way, ways that you can add value as quickly as possible. Don't try to find the biggest home run where you swing once and it's, it's in the upper deck. Like literally look for some quick wins, some low hanging fruit stuff that makes sense that nobody's, nobody's tapping into you know, learn before you start making recommendations because there's a probably a reason and maybe several that things kind of maybe are the way they are because it's really easy to just point stuff out and be like, well, that's dumb. Like, guys do like, it's probably been a process and it's probably known potentially that that, or maybe not like, but just kind of measure your, your feedback in a way and be smart about it before, you know, you just kind of come in and point things out. I think is important because like sometimes you come in and like, you don't understand or know what, and it's just more of a, it's more difficult to kind of like, explain and talk people through like the reason and the why and the logic behind some of the things that are in place versus take it in, chip away, document, show a plan as quickly as you can. Here's what I think the biggest priorities are. Get alignment with the team, with the CEO about what you're going to do, what, what, what impact it's going to make, how it's going to impact revenue and get in there and freaking roll up your sleeves and do the work. Right. I'm, I'm in a different world because I'm in a startup kind of land still. So you don't get lost in the like the, the 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 different departments where you're just kind of in there. Like you got to be pulling your weight and you got to be making a difference because the team is small enough where one weak link definitely you, you see it and you smell it and everybody knows it and you can't hide. So yeah, make an impact. Do it quick. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. That's great advice. Uh, we appreciate you having having you on here and uh, look forward to seeing what Rebel IQ does. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, man. <laughs>